I'm Seth Day. I use he, they pronouns. I'm Crystal Sunshine. I use she, her pronouns. And I'm Rebecca Hackmeyer, and I use she, her pronouns. And And you're you're listening listening to Rad Rad Child Child Podcast. Podcast. we're talking a little bit about visible disabilities. Um, So, you know, those disabilities that have uh, visible signifiers. So things like, right, the sort of, um, if someone's a wheelchair user, or like if we were talking about um, deafness can be visual in the terms of if someone uses sign language can also be invisible, depending. Um, Or, you know, if someone's a cane user, uses a mobility device, different, all different things like that. Um, So... If we could go around and talk about our book or books uh, that we picked and just give a brief synopsis and sort of our way to go and room to grow, and then we can discuss a little bit. So I um, I couldn't pick because I had, well, I had one that was more literal because uh, I, I always have this debate with myself whether metaphorical books are better for kids or whether books that are actually representing the things that they're talking about. And I think that they both have an important place and that's a discussion that we could have, but I kind of have one of each. So one of them, and I honestly don't even know if it was intended to come off this way. I wrote to the author, but she never wrote me back. <laughs> um, but it was about, it's called Bonaparte Falls Apart. And I found it totally by accident because the kid that I was nannying was very into like spooky things. So I was always trying to find books at the library that were about kind of spooky things. And so it's about this little skeleton. And he, uh, you know, his problem is that his bones keep falling off. He keeps losing his bones. and his, and his friends are, you know, like he has like Frankenstein, like little Frankenstein is his friend or he has like a little vampire friend, uh, you know, little other spooky, spooky creatures. And they're all trying to give him different solutions and they're not working. And finally they find a dog and the dog goes and fetches the bones for him. And so it's like, essentially he has a service dog. And so I, that's how I interpreted it is that he has a service dog and, you know, and that way he doesn't need to be embarrassed or whatever. And everyone loves the dog. And, you know, it's like, so I thought that that was kind of a cute, I don't know if it was intended to be written like that, but that's how I interpreted it. And I thought it was sort of a cute way to talk to kids about service animals. Um, Also, it's just a really cute book. I would say uh, that my way to go is that I, I just really liked, um, I I sort of liked the fact that it wasn't overtly about disabilities. It was, it like made it in such a way that I think was, it's accessible to kids um, in sort of this kind of silly fun story. Um, I would say, I'm trying to think of a room to grow for that one. Um, I'm sure there is, but it's not, I might have to get back to that. Hmm. It's a good question. Uh, And then the other book that's more um, sort of a more obvious, it's actually done with animals, but it's um, it's called Roxy the Raccoon. And it's about, um, and that's by, oh, I mentioned the author of the other book, which is It's Blown Apart, Falls Apart by uh, Marjorie Kohler, I think is her last name. If I, I'm sorry, Marjorie, if you're listening to this and I pronounce your name wrong. Um, but, uh, and then the other one is Roxy the Raccoon by Alice Reeves. And that one is about Roxy, who is a raccoon, surprisingly, um, and is a wheelchair user. And it's about like, she's trying to do all different things with her friends, like go to one of their houses or play one of their games. And like, she can't because it's not accessible. Um, and then at the end, all of her friends make different, um, accessible, like changes to make the things accessible for her. And, uh, my way to go for this book is that, it's showing that like, hey, like the onus is on 
us to make the change make things accessible um and not you know i i liked that narrative of like hey you can't get up to my house well i'm gonna figure out a way for you to get up there um however my room to grow is that i felt like on the same token i felt like roxy had to be doing a lot of the educating of her friends um of being like hey this isn't accessible this is what you can do this is why it's not accessible and i'm like roxy that's a lot of work you shouldn't have to do all that work roxy do you think you would, uh, with Bonaparte Falls Apart, have to draw that bridge for the children that it's about what you're thinking that it's about in terms of seeing eye animals? On the one hand, I like the I, the way that it's not so overt, but on the other hand, I wish that it was more overt. Does that make any sense? Like, mm-hmm. I like that it's not so obvious about it. Um, and but on the other hand, like, part of me is like, but you definitely, you definitely do have to draw a bridge there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the nice thing about that books like that that aren't kind of hitting you over the head with the message is that they can be, they can be used. Um, like they're not so didactic, and then you can, when you see someone using, uh, you know, an assistance yeah. uh, animal, um, you can say, "Oh, remember, like just like Bonaparte," or you know, like you 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 can draw that connection. Um, in a way that, mm-hmm. because so so many times these kind of quote unquote issue books can feel a little bit didactic, but it sounds like Bonaparte is a great book to kind of um, uh, just draw those connections in a way that feels more organic. Well, I guess it, I appreciate it. Not I appreciate it more so, but I think that there are some books that are like, this is a disability. This is what a disability looks like. Having a disability is okay. And I, you could fill in the blank with, this is what trans is like. This is what this is, you know, all of those sorts of different things. And I think that there's a time and a place for those. But I, Absolutely. I personally like, I think that kids uh, can be more drawn to stories that have a narrative as opposed yeah. to just like, this is this, this is that, this is this. It's like definite. It's like the children's version of a textbook. A little bit. It's just like definitions. Right, right. We in our in our boxes, we've we've talked about that balance, like not having, um, like trying to balance, like what you're saying, kind of a nonfiction, kind of informative book with with books that are narratives that are just kind of normalizing these experiences yeah. for the the reader that might not have other otherwise kind of encountered them. Yeah, I think they both have a place, and they're both important for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I like that about it, that it it almost can be read without that, you know, overt, like, this is a, this is Bonaparte. They have a disability. This is what it is, you know. <laughs> um, but anyway. Okay. Um, the book that I chose to recommend is called King for a Day, and it was published in 2013 by Lee and Lowe Books. Um, which is it's kind of a reprint. It was actually published originally in 2001 by Northwinds Press. And the author is um, Roxana Khan, who is a Muslim author and storyteller who um, lives in Ontario, but was born in Lahore, Pakistan. Um, the illustrator is Christian Cromer, who was born in East Germany and resides today in Brooklyn. You can tell which one of us is the academic. I know, right? <laughs> I love it so much. Uh, 
So um, this book did receive a starred review from Kirkus and also from School Library Journal. And it's the story of Malik, who is a child living in Lahore with his family. Um, and he's excited to celebrate uh, with his sisters the Festival of Basant, which is a festival that marks the preliminary preparations for the arrival of spring. Um, and as part of this festival, there is this traditional kite fighting tournament. Oh, is this the book? Um, like it's the kid on the front and all the kites. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. I've seen this one. Yes. And so the the kind of kite fighting is kind of the main plot of the story. And there's a subplot that has to do with dealing with a neighborhood bully um, who is pretty one dimensional. But I think that sometimes that is the experience of a bully. Like they are one dimensional and they just throw rocks at you and your sister and they're Rude. unkind to other neighborhood children. Um, and the story, so I would say like maybe one could say that that is a room to grow, like the one dimensionality, but it's not like a reformation story. So like, I, I actually don't think I'm okay with the one dimensionality of the bully in this story. And it actually has kind of the flavor of an Ezra Jack Keats book, like Pet Show or, um, you know, Snowy Day uh, is kind of really the focus on children living rich, independent experiences. Like there are no grownups present. It's kind of just these children's stories. Um, and so I read this book with my son and he was absolutely mesmerized by the play-by-play -play of the kite fighting scene. Um, it talks about how the kites, you know, twist around and snap other kite strings. Um, and he also really loved the art, the way that the illustrator used collage. And he kind of pointed out like, oh, I see that that's paper and that's string, which is also a little bit reminiscent of Ezra Jack Keats um, and his approach. Um, he really, we had this a kind of a conversation about the ending when um, Malik kind of one-ups the bully in like a really kind way by, I don't want to kind of give spoilers, so maybe I will just leave it there. Um, but But the ending we both thought was really delightful and playful and kind. Um, and something that I love about this book is the fact that Malik utilizes a wheelchair and that that is incidental to the story, um, because it just sort of helps to normalize for young readers, the presence of people with disabilities in our community and in stories. Yeah, I love incidental, uh, inclusion is just, it's my favorite, my favorite thing. Like there's, um, actually mm -hmm. a book called Bell's Knock Knock Birthday. Uh, it's by one of my favorite uh, publishers, Flamingo Rampant. Um, mm, like all, mm -hmm. They publish a lot of queer, uh, inclusive stuff. And just in general, it's very inclusive. But they, there's just a character in that book who's wearing a hearing aid. And, and I'm like, yeah, some people have hearing aids. And it doesn't need to be as right. like a story about it. I love that. That's whole, That's part of their whole mission, right? Flamingo Rampant is such an amazing publisher because they were really trying to fill that gap for having all of these, so to speak, diverse slash issue books representing all of these um, like diverse subject matters, but that focused specifically on um, the problematic nature that people experience. And I'll put in a little plug for Shift Book Box because we included a Flamingo Rampant title in our May book box celebrating LGBTQI+. Oh, which book? <laughs> um, we, uh, we included uh, Zero Dads Club. Which My favorite book of theirs. I also really, again, not to make this a Flamingo Rampant. They're not paying me. Um, but uh, <laughs> maybe they should pay. Promo code SHIFT. <laughs> 
<laughs> just kidding. But, but they uh, also really try to, which is something that's really important to me personally, and I think is also part of your mission, is they really try to have authors of the experience that they're writing about or illustrating behind the scenes mm-hmm. of the books as well. Right. Own Voices books. Yeah. Hashtag Own Voices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, and, and to circle back to King for a Day, King for a Day, um, is a sometime own voices book because it is the experience of children, um, Muslim children in Lahore, which um, I think is resonates with Roxana Khan's background. But I do not believe that Roxana Khan utilizes a wheelchair. But I appreciate the, like you said, like we said, in- incidental inclusion, nonetheless. Well, we've had that experience even with um, beloved picture books, where I will take, a, I will look up. Um, an author or an illustrator who I kind of made assumptions about based on the content of their stories and realized, oh no, this was not an own voices book. And and they are, they might be sort of, I wouldn't say grandfathered in, but their books are kind of considered classics and, and appreciated by kind of the, the communities about which they're writing, but um, they're definitely not. But Vera B. Williams. Right, right. right. And mm-hmm. also, um, oh gosh. I had it with me, but I didn't do it. The um, uh, bringing the rain to Kapiti Plain is another one where I think I made an assumption um, about the author's background. That was um, oh um, Verna Ardima. Um, I made assumptions about their background that turned out to be uh, inaccurate assumptions. So. So it's also interesting because I actually recently I was at um, the trans uh, Philly trans wellness conference, which is an annual um, conference for it's it's awesome. I'm going to plug them too. they're also not paying me, but it's a three day free conference um, for trans folks and allies. And I have all sorts of great panels. And my friend um, Kyle Lukoff just wrote a book, a children's picture book um, called uh, When Aiden Became a Brother. I don't know mm-hmm. if either of y'all are familiar with that one, yeah. but um, they are a, a white trans man, Kyle, and the. Um, however, they uh, basically they did not have a choice over their illustrator, and their illustrator is a person of color who has a one. Their mother is black, and their father is Filipino, so that is how they portrayed the family with a mixed race child. And so Kyle is talking about they're they're having a little bit of mixed feelings about that, but also they had absolutely no say um, in what, as a first, as someone first time getting published, they were just like, here's your illustrator. Hope you like them. Bye. Um, and so it was right. also interesting from that, but I had never really heard the writer's perspective of it. Um, and with certain books, that's not the case, but I never really thought about that side of it as well. And also like, okay, if the illustrator is doing it from their perspective, then is that, you know what I mean? Then that's also valid. Like, should they have to draw it as a white family because the author is white? Right. Right. I think it can become, I think that would become sticky for me if I was writing. Um, So first I think that as an own, like, like, uh, well, it'll come up in in another week um, of our conversation. We talk about cultural appropriation a little bit, but um, which I think also resonates with the own voices conversation. But um I think it's one thing to write a kind of universal story and have an author bring their take to it and come from a perspective of a person of color and write, or an il- like, or, an you know, il- illustrate, yeah. or write the illustrator. Yep. So the illustrator coming with their take on it and writing and kind of a, their own voices take on the story. Um, I think that it would be problematic if a 
I would find it sticky if I was paired with a white illustrator who decided to draw characters yes. of um, a marginalized background or, or draw the draw the characters as people of color. I, I agree with you. For for my yeah, I don't know. I think that through our through our work with Shift too, we keep. I know I keep feeling inspired to like start a publishing company that gives all that power back to the writers. That's like, how can we interject in the traditional way that books are being published and, you know, maybe have a database of illustrators that list their genders and pronouns and ethnicities, like as like self-declared and have writers and like allow people more of a, a way to interface with each other and resource you know, their own books. So right. more agency over the collaboration component. Right. And I think one of the reasons it's so difficult is that now it's getting better with the books that were, because, you know, because unfortunately I feel like, because at least with trans things, I feel like now it's a little trendy It's as a topic. So they're making all books about it because they think they're going to sell books because people want books, which is great um, that people are interested in the topics, but it's like, this was always relevant. Why did we have to wait till, you know, now? But anyway... Um, I, I think that a lot of, especially before and still a lot of those books are self-published because publishers won't, I mean, Kyle was talking about, you know, he sent it out to a hundred people to get one person to write back, you know, it's really hard. And, and also acknowledging that like they're a person with privilege and, um, they had connections that, you know, in that community that helped them get their book published. Uh, and essentially they were like, sorry, if you're looking for publishing info, I can't help you because I was lucky enough to have some kind of connection that helped me. And I think that there's so much red tape and that a lot of those books end up being self-published and then they're harder to find or there are limited quantities and things like that. Um, And uh, it can get, you know, it's unfortunate that a lot of people end up having to, not like it's not a good thing to self-publish, like self-publishing is awesome. I think it's rad that you can self-publish and just take agency and be like, no, my book is good. Like people need to have it. (laughs) Right, but then you lose out on the the kind of the the mark well the the little bit of marketing supports that there are out there, and it just makes the the hurdles that much. But more. also that support around, I mean, that's something we've definitely been finding too. Is that like I I wholeheartedly believe in the self publishing industry and the ability for people from different communities to take agency and ownership over writing their own stories and publishing their own stories and making sure they have absolute control over how their voices are being portrayed. Um, And at the same time, it brings up this issue of access and um, what are the support networks that exist around giving people what they need to produce the best thing that they can, right? And so like when you position a self-published book next to a book that had the support of maybe several editors and Maybe people who are like art directors art and directors. people who are more versed in contemporary graphic design. And um, I think that I would love to see evolution in that regard. Like how can we how can we help people resource as self-publishers or people from communities who maybe don't have the same sort of access to those spaces or channels? And support like better self-published books or how, you know, how can we even like give people more feedback that you're not just 
self-publishing a book because you know it's great, but with feedback and a little art direction could be amazing. Well, I think, and I think a lot of people would want those resources if they had them. Totally. And I I don't think like my book's best. I'm going to, you know, I think that it's like, if I had access to five editors, I would love for five people to read my book and tell me, you know, um, but but anyway, um, Crystal, I'd love to hear about your book. Okay. Um, I chose Emmanuel's Dream, the true story of Emmanuel Ofosu Yaboa, um, which was written by Lori Ann Thompson and illustrated by Sean Qualls. And this is an award-winning book that is based on the true story of this young boy who was born with one leg and was considered disabled and kind of shunned by his community as uh, not having the capacity to really contribute to his community in a big way. And he um, does amazing things like his mother carries him to school every day. And then one day says, I'm sorry, you're too heavy. And he ends up hopping to school every day, two miles each way on one leg. (coughs) Um, And, really just overcomes his perceived adversity and shows up to school and, (coughs) excuse me, is um, at first the kids don't want to play with him. And so he saves his money for a soccer ball, which none of the other children have. And he shows up and is like, you want to play soccer? Like, you can play as long as I can play. And he really carves space for himself in his community and world. And then he goes on, he grows up, his mother gets really sick and he uh, wants to ride a bicycle around Ghana in Africa where he's from and writes to a bicycle company in the United States who sent him a bicycle and a helmet and everything he kind of needs to get this journey started and ends up bicycling around this epic tour followed by a car filled with his friends with water and a camera Um, And it's really the story of um, overcoming the perception of disability. Um, So there's this kind of overarching message in the book that disability doesn't mean inability, which I think is really powerful. Um, And room to grow in this book. I have a few comments. One is pretty initially, um, it references the mother is saying God is with us. And just as like an abrupt, as somebody who's not religious, having that kind of um, just information in a book is a, a pause for me because it means an extra step of explaining something to my kid. Like, okay, now we have to kind of pause and talk about who is God? What are people's perception perceptions of God? And, and while I think that's really beautiful and has a, a place and I don't want to say that's like a bad thing about that book by any means, but it it's just mm. presents kind of a challenge in access, I think, for different families. Um, and the other room to grow I have, well, one, it's written by a white woman. Um, so it's not own voices, the illustrator. I can't find a printed um, mark of how he identifies racially or ethnically, but he appears to be a black man. There are parts in this book where 
it really promotes the idea that his mother taught him this value system not to ever beg. That was like her dying advice for him that he took to heart. And while the positive part of that is that he's empowered and takes this self-responsibility to overcome his challenges um, and goes on to really fulfill his dreams and goals in this way that is inspiring. Um, It also in a way admonishes people, I think who do have to beg for food or don't have the sort of inner personal resources in which they used to face their own hardships. And I find that really problematic because I don't want to teach, for instance, I would never teach my son that, begging for anything is a negative like behavior. I think people beg for things when they feel like they need to, or when they don't have specific sets of resources. So I found that a little bit problematic. And I also think that that's something that um, grows with us. Like I, I remember my mom was also taught to be very proud and not to ask for help. And my my father passed away when I was 14 and she had a really hard time asking anybody for help mm-hmm. because she was taught we don't ask for help. That's not something we do, you know. And I, you know, and meanwhile I was, you know, as a kid, I was just like, you know, when you're a kid, it's just like everything's obvious and you're like, duh, like because there's no nuances right. and no, you know, like, um, our roof is falling apart. Our neighbor literally said he would help us fix our roof. Why are you like, no, mm-hmm. like, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. You know? I just um, read, uh, have you read Amanda Palmer's book, The Art of Asking? No, but I've heard of it. It's really brilliant. Um, adult book time. Um, it's great on audiobooks because she performs music in it and yeah. is a little just off the grid in the way that she reads it. Um, but talks all about that. Like, how do we when is it okay to ask for things and who can ask and what is the currency of in community besides money? And how does that kind of interplay in generationally and in class? I think that's like a big. Yeah. And I think that's also something that you sort of touched on a little bit um, with your, with your last book, but like, I think there's this sort of historical narrative of people with disabilities as like being worthless, like your, your um, productivity, like this idea that your productivity and your like a very specific way of contributing to society is right. Yeah. And so I like books, you know, that are sort of shutting that noise down because. Right. There's that like, in Emmanuel's stream, that other thing that's like, the book is clearly about this boy who has one leg and there's that tone of like, I read this book to my son as well. And he was like, what? And he wasn't actually focused on the one leg aspect. He was like, he hopped to school two miles alone. How could he do that? This can't be true. (laughs) Um, But putting all the focus on, isn't it amazing this person with this particular challenge can do that thing is yeah it's a complicated thing because it's important to show that but it's also problematic to focus on that yeah rather than just naturally integrating everyone into stories 
Well, I think also kids are great for that because they will just naturally ask questions about things. So I feel like we tend to have to point things out less. They'll just be like, that person has one leg. What's up with that? And then you can just talk about it. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, just the way that the, like I was with a kid yesterday and they were like, you have green hair. What's up with that? And I was like, let's, let's talk about it. You know, I like green and they're like, why? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> My son will, I really appreciate that about children most of the time. So recently we were in the grocery store and he said, there's a person in front of us who was a bigger bodied person, I think not wearing a bra and my son pointed and shouted and said, Mom, look, that person has long breasts. <laughs> and I was like, okay, now we need to have a conversation about that, like, is it okay for you to talk about bodies, where and when and with who? Like, people don't actually really like their bodies to be, like, pointed and shouted at in public. There's nothing absolutely wrong with having long breasts, but how do we talk about that in a way that's not shaming you for asking a question? Yeah, it's so funny and complicated. I still remember the first time I said the F word, and it was just like I asked my parents, hey, is this a bad word? And my dad freaked out that I said the word, and I was like, I <gasps> Yeah, my parents, my dad mostly was very upset that I said, was like, where did you hear that? Uh, and I was just like, uh, I just wanted to know if, what it meant and like if it was a bad word. Aww. But as parents, like I think as parents and as people with kids, sometimes like, and that's part of the reason, right, that we need these kinds of resources because it's hard to have conversations about things when you don't have any blueprint um, or you never thought about it really actively before. And then your kid asks a question and you're like, uh, I don't know. (laughs) But also is that like that moment in the grocery store was kind of profound for me because it pointed out that like, oh, we can't. We want to talk about these things, but we also can't like point to people in public and use them as a map for teaching our children about anything because that really, you know, isn't cool to other people like in this way that's like tokenizing, but also um, using like people from any given community as like, yes, son, like this person is. I don't know. It's yeah, no, it's complicated. complicated for sure. And with that, I guess it's about time to wrap things up. Thanks again, as always, for joining me. And uh, just as a reminder, those four books were Bonaparte Falls Apart by Marjorie Kirler, Roxy the Raccoon by Alice Reeves, King for a Day by Rakshana Khan, and Emmanuel's Dream by Lori Ann Thompson. Um, before we go, I also just did want to mention, uh, as I forgot to, that the publisher of Roxy the Raccoon, um, Jessica Kingsley, is a fabulous publisher. They have a lot of really good um, books about all different kinds of topics um, like disability, race, gender. Um, they specialize also in books about autism. Um, so I definitely recommend that you check them out. And that's Jessica Kingsley Publishing. All right. Have a good one.
I'm Tom. I'm Will. And we're the hosts of Blasting Off Again, a new Pokemon podcast brought to you by the Upford Network. We've decided to take on the task of watching through every episode of Pokemon, providing live commentary and in-depth analysis of everyone's favorite 90s dogfighting cartoon. We're tackling the hard-hitting issues. Is Brock racist? Was coughing the first ever suicide bomber? What are the environmental implications of using Pikachu to power a building? Will Misty ever get her bike back? Find out the answer to all these questions and more on Blasting Off Again. Available on the Upford Network, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts. We're, We're blasting, blasting off again! Hi there, I'm Nick Hughes. And I'm James Hughes. And we're political. We host Canada's Young Leaders, a show on the Upford Network. For a second season, we are looking at this year's federal election and talking to young candidates from each of the major political parties about their views for Canada's future. So for insight into the debates being held at the highest level of our country, tune in to Canada's Young Leaders every Monday on the Upford Network.